Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome along to New Hope tonight. Great to have you here as we continue our Grace Unlimited series. My name's Andrew Beveridge. Uh, that's correct. That is the right response. So thank you for that. $5 in the mail. Um, and we're continuing the series that which uh, Lance kicked off last week, thinking about uh, the unlimited grace that we can receive, uh, that no matter who we are, no matter what our background is, no matter what we've done in the past, that Jesus can meet us exactly where we are and offer us forgiveness and can offer us the opportunity to be restored into relationship with him. And so across this series, we're going to be tracking through the experiences in the life of Peter. So Peter, one of the first uh, followers of Jesus, really looking at his life, the highs and lows, uh, the great experiences that he had, the challenges that he faced as well, and using that as a way of understanding what does Jesus offer us today? How can we learn from Peter's life and apply that in our everyday life as well? And I get a great story to do tonight. So Peter and Jesus walking on water. It's a classic. Um, even if this is the first time you've ever walked into a church, you'd have some awareness probably about this story. Uh, so it's mine to lose tonight <laughs> as we cover that one, thinking about that one. As we talk specifically about um, faith and doubt and how those things are related and how we can learn from those as well. Uh, and so as we dig into that story, uh, obviously part of what you're supposed to do when you're um, sharing a story like this is you're supposed to have some kind of metaphorical story from your own life that you can apply into it. And my children have given me a very clear message that stories about the kids and the th silly things they've done or things that I've done that have been silly to them are, are completely off bounds. So I'm not allowed to share any more stories about the family. So that's removed, if we're honest, 99% of my material. Uh, so I've dug back a few years uh, to a, an event that I got free tickets to, uh, and it was called the Monster Truck Challenge. Has anyone ever been to a Monster Truck event? Oh, wow. Yeah, good on you guys. So it's pretty exciting stuff, a Monster Truck event. They're those trucks with the enormous wheels. Pretty much what they do is they just drive over cars. That's the whole night. And so to pad out the night, they have to have some other stuff going on. Um, so they'll have like sort of things for the kids. So on this night they had Kenny Koala. So they've got a guy dressed up in a koala suit. He sort of comes out, does a bit of a dance, entertains the kids, pretty exciting. Um, but they actually had another event which sounded pretty impressive. Uh, it was a lady called uh, the Dynamite Lady. And she actually has, still has the Guinness Book World Record uh, for the most exploded human being in history. So this is impressive stuff. So we're thinking, well, how's this going to work? Um, so, Dynamite Lady, I checked, she's still alive, she survived, so we're, we're all good, she's still kicking on, she's given up the game of dynamite uh, explosions, but she's still around. So, Dynamite Lady comes out, uh, and the idea is she's going to blow herself up, and we think, well, how's this going to work, surely this is sort of a once-off kind of deal, uh, but anyway, out she comes, she's wearing a kind of a spandex leotard, American flag sort of emblazoned, she come over from the US to do this, it's at the Tennis Centre in Melbourne, so very exciting stuff, and she comes out, she's got her own theme song, it's all happening, so she's walking around sort of waving to the crowd, the crowd's sort of cheering, it's quite a large stadium, so this takes a bit of time because she's got to milk it out, and then she goes, right, off to this box in the centre of the arena. And she's chosen to help her out with this pretty technical thing, I would have thought, Kenny Koala. So Kenny Koala's come out, sort of inspecting the box. Um, Dynamite Lady gets into the box. She does put a helmet on, 
but she's still wearing the leotard, so it's kind of like, I'm not sure how protective this is, but anyway, she gets in, sort of crouches down in this box, and they put the lid on. Kenny checks it over quickly and then sort of wanders off to the side of the stage. All right, now, the announcer at this point goes, look, this is actually quite loud, so you will need to have your fingers in your ears. We're going to count down. She's going to explode. It's a real explosion. Um, just be aware it's very loud. Okay, so we start the countdown. The crowd's all pretty amped at this point. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Huge explosion. So the box has just like exploded on three and everyone's kind of taken aback. Even the announcer's looking a bit shocked at this point. This doesn't seem quite right. Um, and there's smoke and there's stuff strewn, wood strewn all over the stadium at this point. So literally the whole place is covered with um, little fragments of wood. And then as the smoke clears, there's Dynamite Lady and she's lying on her side. She doesn't look like she's in a really great state at this point. And so we think, gosh, this isn't, this isn't good at all. Dynamite Lady's in a bit, of a bit of a state. I'm not sure this is the way it's supposed to work. So we're sort of, everyone's kind of looking around. Who's going to help Dynamite Lady? Surely they'll send out some paramedics. Well, who do you reckon came out of the hall to help Dynamite Lady? Who did she put her faith in to really look after her in a time of need? Kenny Koala. So Kenny Koala's come out. He's sort of running over. He's sort of patting her on the back, doing nothing. And then eventually, uh, some paramedics that looked like they knew what they were doing came out, sort of dealt with her a little bit. She came back to life, looked very sort of unsteady, and then kind of did another lap to her theme song as she stumbled around the, the tennis centre and then made her way off. And apparently, she doesn't normally get knocked out cold, but tonight, that night, completely out cold. She put her faith in Kenny Koala. I don't want to judge Kenny, I don't know him personally, but I would have thought that's probably not the right choice. Okay, so there's your story. You can be happy now. How's that linked to what we're covering tonight? Well, we're going to be looking at Peter walking on water, but it's interesting what people put their faith in. So I spend, uh, I work with uh, leaders, uh, so I'm a psychologist by training, I do a lot of work with leaders through the week, and I get to meet people at different stages in their career and see what they put their faith in. And I, you see people who put their faith in their role and their position, uh, the job they have, and they're really invested in that. And sometimes things will happen, like they'll get made redundant or they'll lose their job. And then suddenly that thing that they put their faith in is taken away. And the thing that they identified is taken away. And they're filled with doubt about, well, who am I? Um, people who are at the end of their career and have retired, they used to be the CEO. Everyone looked up to them, waved to them in the morning. Now suddenly they're just a, an old guy in the suburbs that no one knows. Uh, their family's kind of moved on from them and they're, they're left by themselves. Other people who put their faith in possessions and, and wealth as a way of buying security, usually. So how can I kind of amass enough stuff to make me secure in my retirement? And then the stock market turns or they get uh, done over in some uh, dodgy investment scheme and suddenly they don't have their money anymore. So we often put our faith in things and often in a way that's like a blind faith. It's an untested faith where we think, oh, this will be okay. Uh, and our faith then leads to our action and our choices. If you think about faith, it's not just about what you know, it's not just what you believe, but it's what, you then, what it then leads you into. It's the action that comes out of that that's really the decider as well. And sometimes, and particularly when we're looking at this story, it's easy to think of people as either having lots of faith and no doubt, or lots of doubt and no faith. 
that faith is in some ways the absence of doubt. Like when you've got lots and lots of faith, there's like no doubt. You don't ask any questions. It's all safe. You understand everything and it's all good. Um, and that doubt is somehow the complete absence of faith. And I think what we'll see in this story is that's really not the case. That most people, given that we're created in God's image, we have some understanding, we have some characteristics um, of Jesus in, in each of us, some kind of understanding of who God is. We don't come from ground zero on this. Um, and equally, when we have uh, faith, maybe we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we sometimes think, well, maybe I shouldn't have any doubt at all. I should be confident. Um, but there's things that shake us, events that shake us and that uh, turn us around sometimes. So there's four things that we're going to look at tonight. first one, I'm going to think about faith as a decision that we make. Faith as a decision. Faith as a direction, a way that we orient our life. Faith as distance, so the distance that we travel. And faith as a declaration. So decision, direction, distance, and declaration. Okay, so let's dig into the story. I'm going to pick this up in Matthew 14, 22. There it is on the screen. A little smaller than I was expecting, but that's all right. <laughs> we can do this. All right, so let's pick up the story. It says, right away, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He had them go on ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Then he sent the crowd away. So let's pause there for a moment. Why is there a crowd? Um, well, if we backtrack in this story, this is immediately after another big miracle. So one of Jesus' kind of most well-known miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. That's 5,000 men. So there's a whole lot of women, presumably, and children on top of that as well. So we've got thousands of people that were fed. If you know that story, basically the deal is there's a whole crowd following Jesus, gets to a point where there's not enough food to feed the people. The disciples are getting a bit worried about this. What are we going to do? Um, Jesus said it's okay. Uh, they found a boy that had some food, used that food, and as it was distributed by the disciples, the food just kept coming. And so everyone was fed. And not only that, they had 12 baskets of food left over at the end, one for each disciple, interestingly enough. So they've stepped into this part of the story, probably carrying a little bit of food each from this miracle that they've experienced. And now Jesus is sending the crowd away and he's saying to them, what I want you to do is to go to the other side of the lake. And so after he'd sent them away, he went up on a mountainside by himself. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a long way from land. It was being pounded by the waves because the wind was blowing against it. So this journey across the lake shouldn't have taken all night. But what we find is it's taking a long time. The weather's against them. They're sent immediately into this storm. Interesting, isn't it, that they've sort of obeyed Jesus, done all these things, been part of a miracle. They've even got sort of evidence of the miracle with them, still in the boat probably, and they're sent straight out, out into this storm. Uh, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to the disciples. He walked on the lake. They saw him walking on the lake, and they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Right away, Jesus called out to them, Be brave, it's I, don't be afraid. So why are they afraid? Well, because this is an unusual thing. Someone walking on water, not expected. Even after this miracle, this is something that's pretty extraordinary. They might have seen it as kind of a bad omen. Uh, maybe they thought it was a ghost, that this was sort of an omen that they were not going to survive this uh, pretty dramatic storm. So Peter, the guy that we're going to follow this series through, says... Lord, is it you? If it is, tell me to come to you on the water. 
And when you hear people talk about this story, they often point to that little phrase there, that expression, that question of Peter as a sign of doubt. So why is Peter doubting that this this is Jesus? But interestingly, in that moment, he's actually setting him up to say, if it's you, call me out onto the water, that you can actually take this miracle that you've demonstrated and actually do something miraculous through me as well. That in that moment of questioning, in that moment of doubt, there's actually this significant statement of faith in who Jesus is and what he can do. So Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And you think, well, how do you see the wind? That's a very good question. Uh, I remember a number of years back, I was in um, Chicago, and I climbed, I think it's, uh, well, I climbed, I went up in the elevator. In, uh, <laughs> sure, I climbed it. Uh, Sears Tower, so it's the, or John Hancock Centre, they rename it every couple of years. It's the biggest building in Chicago. And you look out over this lake that's next to Chicago, and Chicago is a very windy place. And it sort of threw my geography a bit because I thought, this is a lake, but there's these huge waves rolling in off this lake. So obviously, when the wind is up, it creates a lot of uh, waves and everything else. Peter's seen this. He started to freak out a little bit. And he begins to sink at this point. He says he cries out, Lord, save me. So again, interestingly, in that moment of doubt, what does he do? Does he turn back to the boat and say, guys, save me? throw me a rope, you know, paddle over here and rescue me. It's interesting, even in that moment of doubt, when he's taking his attention away from Jesus, he steers it straight back to him and says, Lord, save me. So right away, Jesus reaches out his hand, caught him. Your faith is so small, he said, why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down, and then those in the boat worshipped Jesus. They said, you really are the Son of God. So it's this great story of faith and doubt. And I think it does demonstrate how those two things go together. So let's sort of step back in the story a little bit now and think about what does this teach us about faith and doubt. And I think think the first thing that it teaches us is that life is a test. We can think about life in different ways. What is life about? Part of what the Bible presents is that life is a test. That life isn't the end of the story. In fact, it's just the beginning. That this is about preparing us. It's about actually making us more like Jesus over time. It's about um, difficulties. It's about facing into hard things and using those things to actually develop our character to make us more like Jesus. And so I find it fascinating. Disciples have done all the the right things here. They've been part of this miracle. They've looked at it and gone, Jesus, this isn't possible to feed all these people but we've done it anyway, they've experienced it. And what's the immediate thing? Smooth sailing? No, straight into a storm. So oftentimes in life we think, well, I'm serving Jesus, I'm doing all the right things, things should be easier. I think what this teaches us through this story is that actually things might get tougher, that that shouldn't be a sign that Jesus is a long way away or that perhaps we, uh, you know, we should pack all of this in but rather that Jesus is using these tough times to shape our character. So obedience and challenges come together. It's pretty clear in this story. Uh, the other thing I would say through this story is that there's something in that, that moment as Peter's thinking about his attention. Where is he focusing his attention? So when he's focusing his attention on Jesus and kind of walking after him, everything's fine. When he focuses his attention away, he starts to sink 
when he cries it out back to Jesus, focuses his attention back to Jesus, Jesus reaches down and grabs him straight away. There's a lesson in here about where we focus our attention and where we put our trust and our faith, even in those moments of doubt. And the third thing is, is thinking about doubt as a decision point. So when we hit these moments of doubt, Peter could have had this experience going, look, this is an embarrassing thing. I've kind of fallen into water. This is risky. I could lose my life following Jesus. Um, Maybe I should just pack it in. Or is it a point where he goes, I'm going to double down on this Jesus guy. I'm going to put more effort in following him and seeking after him. So I think through this story, there's four things, four practical things I think we can take out of it um, that I think that you can apply and that have been true in my experience as well as I've had periods of of doubt as well. Um, I think about some of the events in my life that have really shaken my faith and who I am. Uh, There was a pretty significant car crash I was involved in in once that um, uh, due to a string of events, a car crashed in the side of my car, got taken off the road, car actually went up in the air, flipped, fell on its roof, and, and the other side of the car was actually down to the, the passenger, um, right down to the, uh, the top of the door. Uh, so luckily I was the only one in the car, and as this car sort of sliding backwards, I got my hands on the roof and watching the gravel sort of fly by in the windscreen and feeling the roof start coming down towards me as well. This moment of thinking about, where am I putting my faith? You know, this could be it. This might be that moment. And it's interesting in those moments, uh, as you focus your attention, uh, once it finally stopped and the car sort of, you know, I turned the, the car, key, car off because the, the wonderful Honda I was in obviously kept driving through this whole experience. Airbag didn't go off. Uh, that was good, but the uh, car kept going. So I turned the car off and, uh, and then thought, oh, thank goodness I've survived. Undid the seatbelt and, of course, fell onto my head. Uh, that was great, great moment. Um, but this moment of just going, what was that about? What am I living for? You know, where am I focusing my energies? Uh, What really matters to me? How sometimes these tough moments really refocus your attention. So, faith as a decision. Uh, That's the first one. So I think faith as a decision, when you are faced with doubt and difficult times, keep in your mind that it's a decision point. And I would encourage you to seek after and follow Jesus. Make that decision. Because your other option is to kind of pack it in and walk away. Now, in this theme of Grace Unlimited, the great news is it doesn't matter if you pack it in and walk a long way away. All you need to do is make that decision to turn back and Jesus promises he'll be right there ready to uh, grab your hand as he did with Peter as well. So faith is a decision. In those moments of doubt, remind yourself that it's a decision point. I think the second thing is it's about direction. It's about focusing on Jesus. So the thing that I've found really helpful when things have been uh, particularly challenging. So I think about times, you know, particularly when my mother passed away, a very challenging time in terms of my faith and what I believed in um, and where I focused that, was to actually really focus um, almost solely on the person of Jesus and who he was, to spend time digging into the Gospels, the stories of what Jesus did, what he said, the impact he had on people. It's probably not the time in my experience to do some kind of airy-fairy um, philosophical discussion about some Old Testament principle. As, w- as good as that might be in other parts of your life, in those moments of doubt, I really encourage you, if you're feeling like packing it all in, 
just grab these stories of Jesus, you know, read those first few Gospels in the New Testament and, and just dig into who he was and who he is now for us as well. So it's a decision. The third thing is that faith is about distance as well. You think about the story of Peter. At that point, did he have more faith or less faith than he had just even two days earlier? Well, he probably had more faith. Even in those moments of doubt, he'd travelled with Jesus. He'd seen the miracles. He'd experienced it. He'd been part of the miracles as well. That distance really helps. And that's about relationship. It's about actually being in relationship with Jesus, being willing to hear his voice. He promises that we, as his sheep and him the shepherd, will recognise his voice and hear him. We don't worship a silent God, we worship a risen saviour that speaks to us still. And so I'd encourage you, focus on that relationship. And part of that's being honest. If you look at David in the Old Testament, and I love David, David and Peter are kind of two characters that I can relate to um, pretty closely in the Bible. And you think of David, and I love the Psalms where he starts off some of his Psalms just so honest in terms of saying, God, what's going on? Why are the wicked prospering? Why is this all happening in the world? He starts off by kind of airing his complaints. Um, but in each of those Psalms, you always see it turned back to praise and worship of God. And I think there's something in that. Not that we should spend our whole life criticising God or complaining, but there's something in that keeping the communication channels open. It's the same in any relationship. When things get tough, you can kind of go silent and walk away, or you can have the conversation. And it's hard, and it might be challenging, but I think there's a model here of keeping that conversation open. Um, as Peter was thinking, rather than kind of turning away, it's actually crying out to Jesus. Um, admitting where you're up to and having that conversation. So it's, it's a distance travel. And we will see as we follow Peter through that, yeah, he still has moments of doubt, but is his faith increasing? Is he becoming more like Jesus? Absolutely. Does he do even greater things? Yeah, for sure. And so we see how that faith builds through his story as well. And the last thing is faith is a declaration. So you look at what happened. What happened when Peter and Jesus got back in the boat? What did the other disciples say? They said, surely this is the Son of God. They actually end up declaring who Jesus is. And so our faith is not something that we do by ourselves. It's easy sometimes to see faith as this solitary journey that we're doing by ourselves. But the model that we see uh, throughout the Bible is that people travelling together, they're sent out in pairs, you know, they go out as groups, they pray together. Um, they're encouraged to meet together and keep doing that. And so I'd say, look, who are the people in your life that spur you on in your faith? Who are the people that you've got around you that when things get tough, you can share with them, you can, you can share that road with them, and equally that can spur you on as well? So faith is a decision that we make in those tough times. I encourage you to keep going on. Don't pack it in. Use it as an opportunity to springboard your faith even deeper. It's about a direction. It's about orienting ourselves back towards Jesus, focusing on who he is. It's about doing the hard yards over an extended period of time and journeying with Jesus in relationship. And it's a declaration. It's actually, we'll end up with that faith is not just for us. It's actually there to be that witness that we're expected to be for others as well. So why don't we pray and we'll get the band out and uh, spend some time worshipping Jesus together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for saving me. 
I thank you for saving each of us, and I thank you that the opportunity is there for any of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter how much doubt there is in our mind, there's that opportunity to turn back to you, to face you, that you will grab us in that moment where we cry out, that we will feel your hand grabbing us, pulling us up, and where we can focus on you and be in relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that in those moments of doubt, uh, that you'll take our faith from being a a blind faith into a a tested and a grounded faith um, that will be through the journey that we've had with you, it will be even stronger, that will set us up for those challenges that we face. Lord, as we become more like you, as we're transformed into people uh, that are not just your, your children, but also your brothers and sisters. Um, that we will um, honour you, that we'll share your word and, and be a witness to others through the faith that we demonstrate. Well, I just pray tonight for everyone here. May you challenge us in terms of our faith. May you encourage us in our moments of doubt as well, Lord. Help us not to see doubt as a failure. Help us to see doubt as an opportunity to take our faith even deeper with you. So Lord, as we worship you now, may this be an honourable reflection. Help us to lift your name high and loud. Uh, May we lift you to that place of honour as well, Lord. We love you. And we just pray that um, as we spend this time worshipping you, Lord, that this will be a sweet sound for you. Amen. Let's stand together and worship together.